Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah with Dr. Daniel Kanema and Dr. Jacinta Delhaze. Each episode, we'll be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies. Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do, and the fascinating discoveries we make. Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies. Welcome to episode 20 to kick off the 2020s. Ah, we're back in the 20s. Well, I was never in the 20s in the first place. The roaring 20s, my favourite era. I think it's just exciting that we can call them the 20s now. Yes, we actually know what to call our decade now. Yeah, it's good. Yes, so whole new year, whole new decade, and first episode for the for the year. Yeah, we'll be talking to the president of the International Astronomical Union, the IU, Professor Avina van Dieshoek from the Laden Observatory in the Netherlands. Yeah, and she'll be telling us um, about her work in astrochemistry, studying interstellar clouds and newly forming uh, solar systems around exoplanets. And she'll also speak about her role as the president of the IU, what she does, and why she's visiting us here in Cape Town. Yes. But first, though, Dan, since it's a new year, um, it might be a good chance for us to recap on the things we talked about last year. And especially for the new listen listeners who have joined us recently, maybe there's a few things we'd like them to, to know about before we get into this episode. So I know you love this because I have a quiz for you. Great. <laughs> And listeners can play at home and try and beat Dan. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> okay. I'm nervous. <laughs> All right. It's a it's a lightning lightning quiz, okay? Okay. So I'll fast try and be as quick. you can. All yeah, right. Sure. Question one. What is the cosmic savannah? Uh, an awesome podcast. About astronomy in Africa. Correct. Question two. Who are you? Uh, my name is Dr. Daniel Kanema. I am the science engagement astronomer at the South African Astronomical Observatory. Correct. Who am I? <laughs> uh, Dr. Jacinta Delhaze, and you are a Sereo, South African Radio Astronomy Observatory, postdoctoral fellow at the University of Cape Town. That is correct. Question four, where are we? Uh, we are at the South African Astronomical Observatory in Cape Town, South Africa. Correct. <laughs> okay. Question five. What are the main astronomy research institutions in Cape Town and their acronyms? <laughs> so we've already been through the South African Astronomical Observatory, SAAO. We have the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory that does mostly radio astronomy and runs Meerkat, the radio telescope in the Karoo. I hope that's not another question. It is, so uh, please stick to the questions asked. Sorry. <laughs> so that is Sareo, S-A-R-A-O. And then we have the universities, University of Cape Town, UCT, the University of the Western Cape, UWC. Correct. Okay. Question number six. What is electromagnetic radiation? So electromagnetic radiation, as you normally will know of it, is light. Little photons, little packets of light coming towards us. However, light comes in a lot of different frequencies or wavelengths, which we use interchangeably in astronomy. Question number seven, name all the different types of light on the electromagnetic spectrum in order. In order. Gamma rays, x-rays. Mm. Daniel. <laughs> I'm just checking if there's anything else in between. Gamma rays, x-rays, ultraviolet, uh, visible light, infrared, millimeter, uh, radio. 
Microwave. Ah, uh, microwave radio. Yes. Sure. Okay. Well, microwave, microwave. I'll I'll lump in with radio. <sighs> well, okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you half a point for that one. Oh, okay. Question number eight: Which of these types of light can we, as astronomers, detect coming from space? All of them. Correct. Question number nine: Name two things in space that we can detect with radio telescopes. Giant galaxies and gas dust. Correct. Question number 10. South Africa hosts one of the best radio telescopes in the world. What is it called and where is it? It is called Meerkat and it is located outside Carnarvon in the Northern Cape, very far from anyone. And it consists of 64 13 and a half meter radio antenna, which look a lot like a satellite dish that you would use for getting satellite TV. Correct and thorough. <laughs> Question number 11. Name two things in space that we can detect with optical telescopes, also known as visible light. Also galaxies, starlight, and then obviously stars, and also some amount of gas. That's more than two, Dan, but Sorry. that's fine. Well, starlight and stars are the same thing. Okay, extra points then. Question number 12. South Africa hosts the biggest optical telescope in the Southern Hemisphere. What is it called and where is it? It is the Southern African Large Telescope. It is located at the SAO Observatory in Sutherland in the Northern Cape. Salt for short. Salt for short. Question number 13. How many other telescopes are in Sutherland? I think at the current count there are about 15. I would accept 14 or 17, but <laughs> that was from Wikipedia and it might be up to 15 now. <laughs> <laughs> 14 or 17. Okay. <laughs> it depends whether you count different, like... Yeah. Different. So there are also some other sensing instruments. So there's like a gravity sensor and mm. uh, those sorts of things. Yep. Instruments and are not necessarily the, telescopes. Yes, whether you count each um, element of an array of telescopes. Mm. So, yeah. Correct. So the answer is lots. Okay, question 14. How far is Sutherland from observatory where we are now? A four-hour drive, 250 kilometres. Hmm, Wikipedia said 370 kilometres. But well, as I... a crow flies or as you drive? That's a good question. So I'm going to trust you. Well, um, maybe don't. Over Wikipedia. Oh. But we will leave that for our listeners to find the true answer. It's a treasure hunt. <laughs> okay. Now, some questions specifically related to this episode. Question number 15. What is the IAU? The International Astronomical Union, which is a big body of astronomers, international astronomers, 13,500 members. When was the IAU founded? In 1919. Correct. It was 100 years old last year. Question 17. What is the OAD? The Office of Astronomy for Development. It's not the Office of Astronomy Development. They're not trying to develop astronomy. They're trying to use astronomy for development. Good. And question 18. What do you mean by development? Development is basically trying to improve society, humanity, and people's lives as dictated by the sustainable development goals very. put forward by the UN I was going to say okay yeah, sure. very very accurate I cut you oh. off sorry okay now question 19 what is an interstellar cloud it's a cloud of gas and dust that sits in between stars okay now question 20 true or false the dense clouds in which stars and their solar systems form are actually less dense than the best ultra vacuums we can produce in labs on earth correct it true. is true, oh. yes. <laughs> Question 21. What types of telescopes can we use to study these clouds? A millimetre is the best. And also far infrared because we can see 
through the dust. Okay. Now, question 22, where should these telescopes be? Ideally in space or in a very, very dry, very, very high place. For example? For example, the Atacama Desert? In Chile. Chile. Yes, that's a be- good place. Because, can I say because? Yes. Because you want to detect uh, molecules such as water, so you need a very, very dry place so that your telescope doesn't see all the water in our atmosphere. Exactly, and you want it to be as high as possible so that there's the least amount of atmosphere for the light to travel through. Lucky last question, question number 23. What is my favourite wavelength of optical light? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Pink? Pink? I don't know. My favourite or your favourite? My favourite. I don't know. Green? (laughs) I can just list them all. It is is 380 to 500 nanometres. All right. Which is blue. Okay. Blue is my favourite colour. Congratulations. Thank you. I will score you 21 and a half out of 23. So, listeners, let's see if you did better than that. Well, if you, know, if you know Jacinta's favourite colour <laughs> prior to this, well, then well done to you. Okay. I think that's everything that, that we had to talk about. Shall we hear from Evina now? I, I think we should. <laughs> So today we're honoured to be joined by Professor Avina van Dieshoek, who is a Professor of Molecular Astrophysics at the Leiden Observatory and the President of the International Astronomical Union. Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah. Welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Avina, so you're not just an astronomer, you're also a chemist, is that right? That's true indeed. I started my career as a chemist basically, because I had a very good chemistry teacher in high school. I can make all the difference. (laughs) Makes all the difference, and that's what's got me into chemistry. You sort of work in an area of astrochemistry. Can you just tell us what that is and how that differs to astrophysics? Well, actually, the two are very much linked, uh, because on the one hand, the space between the stars, uh, the interstellar clouds, form a gigantic chemical laboratory in which the conditions are very different from those on Earth. So you can study basic chemical processes there. But on the other hand, uh, the molecules themselves also tell us about the conditions in these clouds in which new stars may be forming. They are little temperature probes. They can be uh, probes of the, the pressure in the clouds, the movements in the clouds. So also the molecules inform us about the astrophysics that is happening in the clouds. Your work particularly looks at these dark dust clouds where stars are forming in the middle. And you look through the dust clouds with certain telescopes, is that correct? Yes, indeed. If you look at one of these dark clouds with uh, the light that you see with your own eyes, it's just looking black. Uh, We need to penetrate that uh, dust and we do that with telescopes at long wavelengths, in particular at infrared and at millimeter wavelengths. And what sort of molecules do you see? I mean, what, what do you observe when you look in this dust? Well, simple molecules like carbon monoxide, that's the easiest one to see, actually. Water, one of my favorite molecules. Um, for that one, you need to have an observatory that is actually above the Earth's atmosphere, because, of course, our Earth atmosphere is full of water. So, for example, the Herschel Space Observatory was very well suited to study water in space. But then there is also a huge complexity, something that was not at all expected some 50 years ago. Um, We see simple sugars, ethers, alcohols, 
prebiotic molecules like, for example, uh, cyanide. It's a very rich chemistry that is actually taking place under those very exotic conditions, very low temperatures and densities. What does prebiotic mean? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, it's something that could be used as a building block for life uh, elsewhere in the in the universe. So, for example, if you have the beginnings of a peptide bond or if you would have an amino acid or even simple sugars, of course. So have we found amino acids? Surprisingly, not yet. Um, we have found molecules that are certainly used sort of in the chemistry that leads to amino acids. But in interstellar clouds, there has not yet been a really convincing uh, detection of an amino acid. Um, interestingly, in comets, which are the leftovers of the building of our own solar system, um, they're actually... Uh, simple amino acids like glycine have been detected. So good hope that we will find it in a not-too-distant future, especially with the new Atacama Large Millimeter Array. Where do these molecules form? I mean, are they forming in the interstellar cloud or are they enriched by stars? Or Where, where, do, they, where do they actually originate from? How, like, how do they combine? The cloud itself is made up of, of uh, a mix of atoms and molecules, and uh, the ingredients that we have from the periodic table is, is, is hydrogen and helium. Uh, they come performed in the Big Bang, and then we have the, the important elements, carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen, and those were made in, through nuclear fusion in the interior of stars. And then at the, when a star dies, it basically brings these elements into the interstellar medium. Um, so that gives us our, our building blocks in terms of carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen. But then how you make how do you make a bond, a chemical bond in space? Um, and that is not easy <laughs> because you need to be able to sort of carry off the binding energy of, of making that molecule. And we now actually think that the majority, uh, especially of these complex molecules, are actually made on the surfaces of these tiny little dust grains, uh, little you know, sand <laughs> uh, particles that are present uh, throughout interstellar clouds. And they act um, as a, a meet and greet, uh, where atoms basically land on the grain, uh, they scan the surface, and then they meet each other, and they greet, and they form a bond. <laughs> <laughs> and if they like each other, they can take off again and uh, go back into the gas phase. <laughs> very, very romantic. <laughs> um, okay, so you said that we haven't found amino acids, so no DNA yet, mm -hmm. no evidence for life just yet, but we have found other complex molecules. Why do we care about finding complex molecules in these clouds? Well, that is because out of these clouds, new solar system forms. And so it is basically this material that we see in these clouds that, you know, collapses to form the protostar, but also the rotating disk of gas and dust around it, the so-called protoplanetary disk in which planets are forming. So we're basically looking at the material that ends up on new planetary systems. Um, and there we know that as once you have some liquid water there, in interstellar space, water is only as an ice or as a gas. But once you have it on a planet, then it becomes in liquid form. Uh, and that is when you can actually, you know, have a chemistry that leads then to, say, amino acids and uh, more, even more complex molecules. So you're really looking at the building blocks of, of solar systems. How do we get from a protoplanetary disk to a planet? I mean, it doesn't just happen overnight. It's a huge challenge to do that because interstellar clouds have these 
tiny dust grains that are a tenth of a micrometer in size. Um, so compared with a sand particle, sand grain on the on the beach, it's it's still a thousand times smaller. Yet we need to grow to something that is as large as our Earth. Um, and uh, that means we have to bridge some 10 to the 13 orders of magnitude in growth <laughs> to make that happen. And how that occurs um, is still a challenge. We don't understand it yet. Um, we know that when you have two particles colliding and they are not colliding too uh, too violently, uh, not to high velocities, then they will actually stick um, and grow to larger bodies. And observationally, we've been able to see sort of the growth from micrometer size to millimeter size to centimeter size to pebble size. So that is what we can see observationally. Then there's a whole regime of, of sizes that we, that we cannot observe uh, uh, with our telescopes. Um, cannot see a brick in space. <laughs> so that is what we have to infer. And we can only then see, say, the leftovers comets in our own solar system. And uh, we can see then uh, in terms of planets, both in our own solar system and around planets around other stars. So we have to infer, you know, many orders of magnitude of growth. We know it happened in our own solar system, so we know it's possible. But the physics are not yet fully understood. Can we see any planets forming around other stars? Yes, yes, that's the exciting new developments that we now have with uh, the new Atacama Large Millimeter Array, ALMA. ALMA actually allows us to zoom in on the formation sites of planets. Um, and we have both direct and indirect evidence um, that we see really planets forming um, at this very moment when the systems are still very young astronomically speaking, only a million years or so, um, that they are still forming actually in the in the disk. So that's a, it's a very exciting um, uh, new field that is now being opened up by ALMA. It's always new technology that is driving progress in astronomy. How long does this process take? Do we have do we have an idea? I mean, is it well? Some of it can go actually uh, very quickly if you just have a part of a, a disk collapsing to form a um, a planet through, a, say, a gravitational instability. Um, then it can go very fast. Um, you know, in, in tens or hundreds of thousands of years, the more gradual step by step. Uh, building of a planet, what we call the, the core accretion model, that can take tens of millions of years. All right. Mm. And you mentioned that comets are holding water, and you know, water was one of your big interests. So on Earth, we've got a lot of water. Yes. The theories for where that water came from are sort of varied. The prevailing one is that it came from comets, correct? Uh, not necessarily. So I think what our research and that of our colleagues uh, has shown is that the bulk of the water that we have in our solar system was actually formed already in the cloud out of which our sun basically uh, collapsed. Um, it was formed on those tiny little dust grains. That is where the oxygen and hydrogen basically came together uh, to form water. And that water is preserved, you know, during the collapse of the cloud and the formation of the solar system. So, as one of my colleagues also says, the water on Earth is actually older than the uh, sun itself because it comes, it preceded yeah, yeah. actually. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. 
because it formed when we formed, right? Yeah, it's, it's, yes, it formed exactly when mm-hmm. uh, the whole solar system formed before that already. So, yeah. so yeah. the dust grains were like the dating app. Yes, exactly, oxygen. exactly. And then how exactly in our own solar system the water came, you know, yeah. in in inside the ice line. So uh, in our solar system we had the the ice lines that sort of that divided where water was in, in gaseous form and where water is in, in ice form. And we think that that ice line is a very important um, region as to where uh, planets could form, giant planets especially, and the cores of giant planets like that of Jupiter. So the question has then always been inside this uh, rather dry inner region, how did Earth get its water? Was it delivered by comets or was it delivered by other icy planetesimals, um, for example, icy asteroids um, that have a different orbit than uh, than the comets. Uh, so I think the prevailing view now is that it was not the comets, but it was sort of other icy planetesimals that asteroids that brought most of the water to Earth um, through bombardments. Uh, on the other hand, the comets have been very important in bringing the organic material to Earth. Uh-huh. Oh. Which is very important to us. Oh. Which is also very important. Both are, you need both, <laughs> both water and the organics. <laughs> and why is it important to distinguish between comets and asteroids in that context? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, personally, I, as an astrochemist, um, you know, for me, it doesn't matter so much. <laughs> but solar system formation, people seem to care a lot about it, <laughs> about that, the distinction. <laughs> Okay, and then we're now in an, an era where we're finding a lot of exoplanets, so planets around other stars that are not the sun, and we found a whole variety of them. Have we found water on any, on, on any of them yet? Yes, indeed. It's a very exciting uh, new era of uh, astronomy. Um, 25 years ago, only that uh, the first... Uh, planet around another star than our sun was actually discovered. Um, now, of course, gotten the Nobel Prize for that uh, last year. Fantastic, uh, fantastic results. Now that we have actually found these exoplanets, and now that we know statistically that on average every star has at least one planet, now we're entering a new era in which we are doing, trying to do the basically the characterization of the atmospheres of these exoplanets. And indeed, water has been uh, detected in uh, in quite a number of these uh, exoplanets, mostly actually giant exoplanets, you know, gas giants like Jupiter, uh, Earth-like planets. Uh, first hints are starting to be there. So have we found a habitable planet yet? <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> have we found the twin of uh, our Earth yet? I don't think so. Um, are we trying to find habitable exoplanets? Uh, we're getting closer. Oh. Uh, but uh, um, at least we have good candidates to target with the new next generation of, of instruments like the James Webb Space Telescope. It's very exciting. It's going to be a very exciting next 50 years or so. Right. And also the not to forget the, the gigantic telescopes uh, on the ground that are now mm. being built. Uh, the, the extremely large telescope uh, from the European Southern Observatory is, is really um, aimed at, at characterizing uh, the atmospheres of exoplanets and, and searching for, for biomarkers in them. Not just water, you need also other molecules uh, in order to... Uh, determine whether there is actually life there. 
Yeah, we found so much with the current generation of telescopes like ALMA and Chile and Spitzer, Herschel, all of these things. Yes. I can't imagine what we'll find. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, I think that's the wonderful thing about astronomy. I mean, it's the fact that we don't know what we're going to find. That's the surprise. I mean, that's the excitement of the research. Yeah, it's a journey of discovery. Exactly. <laughs> the IAU recently had a competition for naming some exoplanets. Mm -hmm. And I think two were named uh, by South Africa. Um, indeed, uh, the star and its uh, planets around it. I think it was Naledi was yes. the star and Kurtoa, it was the yes. exoplanet. Uh, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. And those those planets were actually discovered from the, the WASP uh, telescopes, cool. which are here in Sutherland. Oh, cool. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> you can see the, the star and not the planets, but yeah. you can see the star, I think, with a small telescope yeah. here from South Africa. Yeah. And I think also the names are, are wonderful because uh, the, the mother star is, is basically um, a, the the name of a, of a girl that brings joy. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting research. But Your current role is as the International Astronomical Union, the IAU, uh, president. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that and what's keeping you busy these days. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the IAU. So first of all, what is the IAU? Right. So the International Astronomical Union is the, the worldwide organization that brings all of the professional astronomers together. Some 13,500 uh, from more than uh, 80 member countries in with more than a hundred different nationalities. And our mission is, is basically to uh, promote and safeguard astronomy in all of its aspects. Uh, and of course, through international cooperation, that is the key word <laughs> that we're doing, the international cooperation. And these days, that's much more than just bringing um, astronomers together Uh, to talk about research, uh, to have conferences, etc. That's was sort of the traditional role of the the IAU. Um, now we also use uh, astronomy as a as a tool for education, in terms of outreach, and also as a a tool for development. And that's actually what brings you here to Cape Town. Yes, yes, yeah. We are very proud of our Office of Astronomy for Development. So this is not the development of astronomy. This is really using astronomy as a development tool in in various countries. And this is your first time to South Africa. Yes, it's long overdue. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think so far? <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> it's a beautiful uh, uh, area that you have here. The SAO here hosts the. Uh, the Office for Astronomy Development here in Cape Town on our site. And this week we're hosting a Science for Development workshop, which you're attending. Uh, what have you been, your impressions been of that? And how, how is science uh, help assisting in development? So if I take a step back, if you just look at what uh, the OED has uh, achieved so far. So it's really amazing what the director, Kevin Governor, and his team have done. It's basically building a, a worldwide network here in Africa between various African countries, uh, but then also worldwide through the regional offices of the OAD. And each of these offices, um, and here in Africa, there are three actually, uh, Western Africa, Eastern Africa, Southern Africa, they all have their own set of activities and measures that they're taking in order to, to bring astronomy to the people, but also to use it to train uh, students in skill sets that are useful elsewhere in society. So think of big data, uh, think of technologies, 
Um, but also think of the inspiration that astronomy brings and that that sort of gets young children excited to go into STEM subjects. And we see that happening actually across the entire globe. So we wonderfully had all of the representatives from these offices worldwide here together as well. And they're also attending this workshop on science uh, for development. So with this workshop, we're taking it one step broader because if you try, if you're doing, for example, an, an intervention um, in, say, Nigeria in a refugee camp, then you can use astronomy to inspire children there. But at the same time, you probably need social scientists, you maybe need psychologists on your team in order to make that intervention really work. And so I think that is what we're trying to do here is, is, is bring sort of different communities together so that we can make, build teams, build multidisciplinary teams in order to make the world a better place. And one of those uh, projects that's funded by the um, IAU's Office of Astronomy for Development is, of course, the Molomlava project, which uh, we featured in episode 19. And we hear that you got a chance to go visit the girls. Exactly, exactly. Um, when I visit, I didn't, don't just want to see the, <laughs> the office itself. I really want to see the projects in action. So I was really delighted that Margarita Malara actually took me to visit Kayalicha uh, and see the school uh, itself. So we spent about an hour there talking with the, the head of the school, but also seeing uh, the children in action um, with the songs and with all the kinds of activities. They were also, you know, using Lego to build the robotic elements. So, so it was really very interesting to see that under these very difficult uh, circumstances, um, this little oasis of young girls being trained there. So it was a fantastic experiment. That's a wonderful project. Okay, and right, so getting back on track with the IAU, um, what is it like being the president and what's your role? <laughs> <laughs> well, the way the, the IAU works is actually that we have four officers that do the bulk of the work. So it's the president, uh, it's the general secretary, it's the president-elect, and it is the assistant general secretary. And it's really the, the, the general secretary that does the bulk of the work. That is a, a more than 100% uh, job, so I'm very fortunate <laughs> to have a very good uh, general secretary. The president is also doing quite a lot of um, activities. It's more the outward looking part uh, towards the community. So I try wherever I can to help and, and visit regions and, and see where my visit and my presence can, can sort of give a push to certain projects uh, to move them uh, forward. Uh, of course, also in terms of organization, I've had a very interesting, a very busy year with the 100-year celebrations of the IEU. Last year, uh, we, vis we had our 100-year um, celebrations um, and we actually organized uh, more than 5,000 activities oh, wow. uh, a year long in uh, more than 140 countries. So it was <laughs> one long but very interesting stretch. Um, so we had basically uh, one full year of activities. And in January, we started with 100 hours of astronomy with the amateurs. And in, in 
February we had the Women and Girls in Astronomy. Then later in the year we had the celebration of a hundred years of the solar eclipse, uh, with which Eddington uh, proved that Einstein was right. <laughs> uh, the famous 1919 solar eclipse. Then we had the moon landing. Um, then the, of course the name Exoworlds that uh, we just talked about. So it has been a wonderful experience, and it's has, has sort of energized also. Uh, so much um, uh, yeah, activities around the world. So I, I'm really you know, heartwarming to see mm-hmm. that. And it's not quite over yet. Indeed, we have our final IU100 activity coming up on Valentine's Day, 30 years since the iconic pale blue dot image was taken by the Voyager 1 mission. Uh, Voyager turning around uh, when it was already past Saturn and looking back at Earth one more time and uh, taking this famous picture and Carl Sagan's world. Mm. That's us. <laughs> yeah. That's us, that little that. Yeah, the pale blue dot. That, it's yeah. definitely a romantic picture to yeah. celebrate on Valentine's Day. Yeah, <laughs> but, but also it, it shows, uh, you know, how tiny we are, mm. you know, the tiny little rock that we are living on there somewhere in the, the outskirts of our galaxy. We better take good care of our planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It's very precious. Very precious. <laughs> And the other connection that Cape Town has very strongly to the IAU is that the IAU General Assembly will be hosted here in 2024. Indeed, after a century, the IAU is finally coming to Africa for its General Assembly. So um, I'm really delighted uh, that that is happening. I visited the conference center uh, just the other day and it looks very good, especially with the new addition. Now it's large enough to hold uh, the IAU General Assembly, but it's hopefully also sending a signal to Africa, not just South Africa, but the entire continent, that this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity not just for uh, young astronomers um, and senior astronomers to attend the General Assembly, but we really would like to see also, you know, young astronomers on the program presenting results. And so that is a, a very good goal to work towards in the in the coming four years, that uh, the community is built up and that they can have a very strong presence also on stage um, at the General Assembly in uh, 2024. That's very exciting. We look forward to welcoming you back. My pleasure. Hopefully you come before then too, though. <laughs> <laughs> very possibly, yes. <laughs> it would be my pleasure to do so. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, it's wonderful talk to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, enjoy the rest of your stay. I thank hope you. I get to see some of the sites and uh, all the best. Thank you and keep up the excellent work that you're doing here. I really enjoyed that interview. It I was, did too. Yeah. She spoke wonderfully. It was very interesting. I certainly learned few things. Yeah, I didn't know that the water on the Earth is older than the solar system, than the sun. Yeah, no, nor me. I, I was a firm believer in the comet theory, but, mm. you know, hers kind of makes more sense, actually. Asteroids and planetesimals. Well, so. yeah, so sort of it formed before the, mm. the solar system formed. It was sitting in, in these small rocks and things, which then formed the Earth mm. itself. I mean, it's pretty interesting that the, the water we drink is... <laughs> yeah, so next time you have a glass of water, just think how old it is. Those molecules formed over five billion years ago. Jeez, that kind of blows you away. And it was also pretty amazing that we're getting closer to finding habitable planets. 
Yeah, finding planets is a really big deal. And as she mentioned, the Nobel Prize for last year was given to the search for exoplanets. I mean, we found over 4,000 now. We're finding more and more each day. And it is kind of just a matter of time before we find ones which look like they are in the habitable zone. Well, we found ones that are in the habitable zone, but even ones that are Mm. habitable. Mm. In the habitable zone of the sort of right size and and contain water and oxygen yeah so uh, it is just a matter of time Mm. i think i think it's a little ways away but we're getting closer the test telescope is finding a lot of these things so it's it's very exciting Mm. yeah and we've had we found a whole zoo of exoplanets Mm. ranging from big gas giants and big planets that are closer into their stars than we think they should be Mm. and little uh, like rockier ones we haven't found any tiny ones yet i think because they're quite hard to find we've found a few but yeah Mm. they are hard to find so much exciting stuff but yeah and we'll learn a lot about how planets form Mm. which is again what avina was talking Mm. about and is very very interesting actually yeah and i hadn't actually seen the pictures of the tracks that had been Mm carved out by planets as they were orbiting their baby stars. Yeah, um, we'll definitely post those on yeah, the blog. Yeah, it was seen with Alma, so cool. Well, that was an exciting episode to start the year with. Particularly the quiz? No, I'm joking. <laughs> that was the highlight. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy putting you through that, Dan. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess that's it for today. Thanks very much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Cosmic Savannah. You can visit our website, thecosmicsavannah.com, where we'll have links related to today's episode. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Cosmic Savannah. That's Savannah spelled S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H. Special thanks today to Professor Avina van Diesuk for speaking with us. Thanks to Mark Olnut for music production, Janis Brink for astrophotography, Lana Serai for graphic design, and Tabisa Fikalepi for social media support. Also to Tabisa Fikalepi, Lynette Delhaze, and Sumari Hatting for transcription assistance. We gratefully acknowledge support from the South African National Research Foundation and the South African Astronomical Observatory to help keep the podcast running. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to help us out, please rate and review us and recommend us to a friend. We would really appreciate it, and thanks to everyone who has already done so. And we'll speak to you next time on The Cosmic Savannah. Let me ask you, Dan, what was your favourite episode in 2019? The Black Holes? The The EHT, the Event Horizon Telescope. Yeah, that was a good episode where we interviewed Roger and Rodri Evans. I mean, it was just a super exciting episode. I saw a talk the other day and they were showing three big images which have kind of changed the world in terms of astronomy. The one was the pale blue dot. Mm -hmm. What was the other one? I think it might have been the the one from the first Apollo mission that went around the moon. Well, like looking back at looking the back Earth at or? the Earth yeah. with the moon in the foreground, and then the third one was the EHD. Oh wow! Like the black hole, which I don't know if I entirely agree with, mm. but it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think that the what they were showing was like it was seen by four and a half billion people or something. Mm. That image. We didn't get four and a half billion listens on our podcast. People need to get to. Get to, get to, get to <laughs>
It is all about us. <laughs> what was your favourite episode? I can't choose. Oh, there were so many. I I love the one that I loved recording the most was the episode nineteen, the Molum Lava one, because I got to go out to the school and talk with the girls, and they were so full of life. I also obviously liked the two that I got to record in Australia, just so I could kind of show everyone my home. And I think, like content wise, I liked episode three, which was the one about SETI, um, the Breakthrough Listen project with Mia Cat, because. I didn't realise that we could use Meerkat to search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and that is super cool. Exciting news. I won't, I'm not sure I'm allowed to share it. What? Why aren't you allowed to share? Well, I'm not, I don't want to say it because I'm not sure I'm allowed to share it. It's, uh, I mean. Uh, okay, well, well, we'll have a conversation. It's, it's to do with air. break. Yeah, it's, to, yeah, okay. 